Good evening and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm John Tarleton, editor in chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website. My co-host, Amma Gagarian, is out today. A uh, reminder, our November print edition is out on the streets. You can find it in our red and white news boxes and in scores of public libraries and other venues across the city. You can also find us online at independent.org, as well as on Twitter and Instagram. All our different platforms are chock full of Gaza war-related coverage, including what's been happening here on the streets in New York City. In the first half of today's show, we'll look at the growing crackdown on pro-Palestine speech at the City University of New York and other campuses in New York City. Later in the show, we'll speak with independent columnist John Tufel, author of our This Month in Eric Adams column. There's a lot to catch up on with John. And we'll also be taking listener calls during the second half of the show when John Tufel joins us. Uh, but now we turn to Hunter College, one of the crown jewels of the City Uni- University of New York, where a shocking act of censorship last week has rocked the campus and underscored the intense crackdown on pro-Palestine speech taking place throughout academia. Last Tuesday, Hunter's acting president, Ann Kirshner, canceled the screening of Israelism, a movie made by two young Jewish-American directors about uh, the, the transformative experience of going to Israel and Palestine and encountering the brutality and the repression that Palestinians experience on a daily basis. Uh, That movie was scheduled to be screened at Hunter College last Tuesday. That uh, plan had been set in motion uh, months uh, in advance of the uh, October 7th uh, attacks that set set off the latest round of fighting uh, in Israel and Gaza. And uh, uh, President Kirshner canceled that screening, the Hunter College uh, a faculty member who helped set that all up is Tammy Gold. She is a professor of uh, uh, film and media stundar- studies at Hunter College. She's uh, been there for over 30 years, a very respected figure there. And uh, she's going to be joining us in a minute to talk about that incident. We're also going to be talking about the broader implications of that uh, with uh, uh, Sander, uh, Shandor John of adjunct faculty member and uh, uh, union activist at Hunter College, and also we'll be talking with uh, P.M. Campbell. He's a student activist and a journalist for the Athenian, a campus publication at Hunter College, uh, who's been following this story closely as well. Uh, so, uh, Tammy, Shandor, and uh, P.M., welcome all of you to the Independent News Hour on WBAI. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Right on. So, Tammy, let's talk with uh, start with you. Uh, can you just, uh, uh, you know, briefly describe what happened last Tuesday uh, as you uh, learned uh, that this film screening was going to be canceled, a uh, cancellation that reverberated all the way into the New York Times uh, last week uh, and mm-hmm. uh, has really shook up the campus? I think we should go back to when it was organized. Okay literally organized at the beginning of June 2023. And that's what's remarkable, that we started to plan this so early on. And we went through a lot of different debates. Should it be a panel? Should we have different, like, scholars on Palestine, Israel? Finally, we came to the decision that, no, the filmmaker should be there. 
I should host the event and started off by asking questions. And at a certain point, we'd get questions from the audience and we'd ask them to write the questions down. And we gave it a lot of thought why we would do that. Anyway, so what we got was an amazing email that went to the filmmakers basically saying, why are you showing this film? Who gave you permission to show this film? So it was this fascinating, um, kind of like they discovered that they were, that people show films at Hunter College and, and this is the administration. And so at first we thought this was funny, you know, one hand doesn't know what the other hand's doing and it meant in the administration. By the way, that is not an unusual thing. Um, so the dean met with us through email and basically said he fully supports us. And what he was asked to do, he said he would do, but he thought it was a violation of our academic freedom. Some of the things that were asked were, was it going to be open to the public? Was it just for teaching in a classroom? Was it open to the community at Hunter College? Why would they show this film? Why would they show this film now? I mean, it was the craziest questions. And the dean was really saying, this is going to go away. This is ridiculous. But it only escalated. And then we were told it could not be open to the public. Uh, I never understood what the difference is. If it's open to the Hunter College community, what's the damage by opening it to the New York City community? Anyway, it started to snowball like this. And at every level we were negotiating, I would say, yes, okay, we'll keep it just to the Hunter College community, but we'll really promote it. Then on the morning of the screening at 8.30 in the morning, a phone call comes in from the dean saying it's canceled. It's canceled. Administration, the president said it's canceled. That's it. End of story. The president said it was her decision. No one else's. It was not the provost. It was not the dean. It was her decision. So at that point, Shondor's with, who's with us has been doing organizing of students for years. And you really see the groundwork of what that does when you have this regular organizing of students, constant, it gave us the leverage to organize so much within 40 hours. Shandra, do you want to explain what happened? Sure. Um, well, there had been a number of protests uh, at Hunter Campus um, with regard to uh, Gaza and also on um, November 7th, there was a speak out against Actually, the title of the speakout was Stop McCarthyite Witch Hunts at CUNY and Other Campuses. And this was partly in reaction to Governor Hochul's launching of a type of probe or investigation, which was quite reminiscent of the notorious Rap Kuder Committee of the early 1940s at City College, which is notorious in the annals of violations of basic democratic rights and academic freedom because it was a witch hunt against uh, leftist professors, staff, and students. And that speakout warned that Hochul's probe was going to inflame and further escalate uh, the sorts of uh, witch hunts uh, that have already begun at CUNY, but are also underway at Columbia, at Brandeis, and many other campuses. So 
over a hundred people came, including a lot of students, and gave a lot of speeches about the connection between the war, uh, the war on the people of Gaza, um, which uh, is basically a U.S. war. It's a U.S. Uh, and Israel war on the people of Gaza and repression here within the United States. So when um, when Tammy uh, let us know about what had happened with the cancellation of the um, of the film showing. Then, uh, first of all, the union got involved. Our union chapter uh, at Hunter, the chapter of the Professional Staff Congress, um, and I'm a executive committee member of of that chapter. Although I'm speaking here in an individual capacity, I'm not speaking on behalf of the union. But the chapter got very involved and was completely against this type of censorship. I'm understanding that it's censorship not only against faculty members, but above all against students. This is directed above all, really, against student rights. And the chapter, um, uh, together with student activists from um, the uh, CUNY Internationals Club, the Palestine Solidarity Alliance, and others, uh, rapidly put together a, um, a organizing meeting that evening. And that evening, about 60 people gathered, and um, Tammy had drafted um, uh, a, a, a petition. We had worked on a petition to demand that the administration reverse this cancellation and that it provide adequate space for the showing of the film before the end of the month. Um, so this petition has now gotten almost 800 signatures in just a few days. However, the next day, the faculty senate, uh, the academic senate, had a meeting to discuss routine matters. But the president of Hunter College uh, came to that meeting on Zoom, and uh, she gave a presentation on another matter. And then people uh, spoke up against this. And the head of the film and media department, Kelly Anderson, spoke. Um, the head of our, uh, the chair of our chapter, Jen Gaburi. Uh, spoke against this. Uh, the head of the student government spoke against this. A speaker from Palestine Solidarity uh, Alliance spoke, and there was about 15 students uh, from the Internationals Club and others holding up signs against McCarthyism uh, and censorship. Let the film be shown. Um, stop McCarthyism on Hunter Co- College uh, campus. And then a resolution was put forward uh, based on the statement from the uh, union chapter uh, denouncing quite forthrightly uh, this act of censorship and this attack on academic freedom and uh, demanding that the administration provide a, uh, a uh, adequate space uh, for the film to be shown by the end of November. So the end of November is approaching soon. I just want to say a couple, you know, just other things. I really think that in the annals of campus McCarthyism, this is going to go down in history. This is so out there in terms of the flagrant uh, disregard for basic democratic rights. It is very typical of what happens during wartime. We've got to remember that McCarthyism was uh, part of a general U.S. war drive um, whenever there's a U.S. war, there's repression on the home front. This repression is coming down from the White House, is coming down from the governor's uh, offices, is coming down from City Hall, and is coming from CUNY Central. Uh, but really, uh, this is something which is in the interest of everybody, um, you know, who is uh, defending the right to protest and to protest this war, to defend academic freedom, uh, to defend above all student rights. Uh, to work together to defeat. And I think that we have a, quite a good chance of defeating it. 
even Penn, uh, Penn International wrote against this. Um, the, uh, Chronicle of Higher, uh, I think it was Inside Higher Education, the New York Times. These are, these are hardly, uh, radical or leftist, uh, militant groups or publications, but they saw the implications of this as a, a full-on assault against, uh, basic rights. So I think that this this is a fight that large numbers of students uh, throughout CUNY need to get involved in, and labor unionists um, and others, uh, and above all, opponents of this bloody U.S.-Israel war, uh, which literally is uh, uh, a genocidal war against the, the Palestinian people and the people of Gaza. These things are very closely connected. And the last thing I want to say is one thing that we've been uh, highlighting at some of the speakouts with regard to the war is the need for labor action to block the arms shipments uh, of uh, weapons for this war. And that is exactly the type of thing that um, the uh, powers that be, also known as the ruling class, wants to censor and gag. That's why, for example, at the Department of Education, they issued a, a horrible order, a gag order on teachers, forbidding teachers and staff uh, at New York City public schools to talk about Gaza or Palestine, even on their own time at work, but not only that, explicitly telling them that if they say or do anything on this issue on their own time, not at work, they are also subject to potential reprisals. This is another giant step uh, of McCarthyism uh, that is very closely connected to what we're talking about at Hunter College. Right. Thank and Thank before you. we go to uh, Shandor, uh, before we go to uh, uh, PM Campbell, um, I just want to uh, ask you if you want to uh, succinctly uh, describe uh, what you mean by McCarthyism for any of our uh, younger listeners or anybody else who's sure. wondering what that term uh, refers to. Sure. Um, well, I'm part of a, a group uh, in various unions called Class Struggle Education Workers, and uh, we put out a publication called Marxism in Education. We've written about this a lot. Um, and I guess it's okay for me to say that personally, uh, my family was targeted by McCarthyism, um, during the Cold War. McCarthyism is a broad term today used to describe, um, the kind of censorship, um, banning, uh, witch hunts, smears against those who are, are or are perceived to be uh, usually leftist critics or opponents or organizers against the um, status quo of uh, capitalist you know, society in the United States. So McCarthyism was a, a huge campaign to blacklist, in other words, put on lists of people who are not supposed to be hired, who are supposed to be run out of their jobs. Um, on the universities, it wreaked havoc. Uh, professors were uh, required to sign something called loyalty oaths in order to not lose their jobs. If you used a word like imperialism in a class, God forbid, uh, we all know there's no such thing as imperialism, of course. Uh, Only exporting democracy. Right. Uh, then the FBI would quickly be informed. Um, you know, the FBI used to come to our house when I was uh, little, uh, once every two weeks and threatened to deport uh, my mother, um, who was a Holocaust survivor and a stateless person if uh, my parents didn't name names. So part of McCarthyism was trying to for, force leftists to think on others. Um, and when they refused, you know, they would be fired or threatened with deportation. Um, yeah, so McCarthyism is right. is uh, on the march once again, and we're determined to stop it. Right. So, right, the McCarthyism, its heyday was in the late 40s and early 50s, but the legacy lives on in, in this a sort of paranoid 
style of politics that um, we're seeing again. Uh, I want to bring in uh, P.M. Campbell, a student activist and journalist uh, at Hunter College, writes for the Athenian. Uh, uh, P.M., can you describe uh, how this uh, act of censorship has been received by the students at Hunter and if they're more aware of the movie now that than before the censors uh, took action. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So when you're looking at like the protests on November 17th, last week, when Professor Gold announced to the, the demonstrators that the film was canceled, that announcement was met with boos and cries of shame and screaming and not at professor gold but rather at the president's you know actions and the special thing about professor gold bringing this to the students at, at a protest that it was not no longer film majors right no longer just film majors no no longer just media majors like me right but now it was protesters you know now it was people passing by coming out of the subway now it was, you know, union organizers who were interested, grad students who were interested, you know, at that protest, you know, even on the flyer, uh, by PSA, Palestinian Solidarity Alliance, you know, that, that event included the Bengali Student Association, Pakistani Student Organization, Southwest Asian, North African Association, Muslim students. So, you know, and internationalists, young democratic socialists, we could go on, right? So this brought in the multiplicity of the, you know, the Hunter College, you know, even people who are not like me, who are not interested in quote unquote politics, you know, this really brought in the whole of, you know, the Hunter community. And like, you know, Professor Gold said in, in the article that I released with the Athenian, you know, she said, I think they've made something much larger than them. This is a big mess for the, you know, Hunter president. Right. And, um, can you also just talk about, uh, sort of, well, actually in a minute, I'm going to ask you to, uh, talk about the, the sort of the campaign of harassment and intimidation, uh, that students are experiencing at Hunter College around, uh, the, their position on the war and, and Palestinian rights. But I want to go to a clip here in a, in, in a moment, uh, of a student at Columbia University, uh, speaking out about their experiences, uh, uh on Friday, uh, of, uh, harassment and in, uh, intimidation and really abandonment by their university uh, leadership. Members of SJP and JVP have remained masked and anonymous since we first started speaking out because we have been terrified for our safety. Yeah. What kind of McCarthyite hellscape are we living in on this campus? I have often found myself too scared to even go to class or to even reach out for help from the university because it has enabled this. Okay, that was a Palestinian student at Columbia University speaking about the out on Friday about the repression she and other students there are experiencing. Uh, PM, can you talk about uh, the doxing and harassment that you're seeing at Hunter and the impact it's having there? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So you know, to go back to the the protest from last week, right? This was the first time that at least I had seen the accuracy in media truck doxing our our professors, CUNY professors, as quote-unquote mm-hmm. 
you know, CUNY's biggest anti-Semites, right? Professors that I have had, professors that I've had the honor of meeting and, and knowing, uh, to also talk about censorship in the way that, excuse me, and in the way that we see with students speaking out intentionally, right? The Board of Trustees meeting, uh, last month's Board of Trustees meeting was moved to Zoom the morning of, and then speakers could only enter the room three minutes before they were supposed to speak. That means for journalists like me, <laughs> I cannot, you know, report on what people were saying, right? So these these subtle ways to to silence uh, students' voices, right? Student voices which may not be directed at the administration. Surely I wasn't going to speak to the board of trustees. I was going there to speak to the, the members of my student body who went also to that to that meeting. But also to think of censorship in somewhat of a broader way, right? About what's not spoken about, what we simply do not, you know, turn an eye to, right? I have some, you know, friends who found really big issue with one of, I think the, the statements coming out of CUNY saying that all of the protests have, we're very happy that all of the protests has been peaceful, you know, with little mention of how a New York City uh, councilwoman bought a firearm. To the protests, you know that that, is also- that was in a Vernikoff uh, at Brooklyn College at a protest in October, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. So you know to think about not only what we stop from being said or stop from being screened in our case, but also what we what we don't speak on with our platforms. And you know, I I really appreciate the the clip that you played because as a journalist who's you know written multiple articles on these. This article that just came out last week was the first time that everyone agreed to be on the record, have their names noted. Previously, mm. previously and understandably, professors and students have asked me, can I stay anonymous because I fear for my safety? You know, when playing a video, when I shared a video of a really great speech on my Instagram, my, my friend and colleague reached out to me saying, would you please take it down? I do not want to be attacked, right? Mm. So we have to look at the issue of censorship, but also the idea with the issue of safety. You know, more people would be okay with being, you know, on the record and have their names out there if they did not feel like they would be slandered or or libeled in this case or or attacked, you know. And that's something that Hunter is going to have to work on a lot and something I'm really happy that people, students, professors and uh, you know, everyone in the hunter community are becoming more comfortable about lifting their voices without shame. Mm-hmm. Right. And a uh, final question here before we have to go uh, for Professor Tammy Gold. Uh, in a nutshell, what do you think uh, the admin, not only the administration, but the critics of your film, or not your film, but the critics of the film, uh, Israelism, what are they so scared of? What do they not want people to see here? I don't think the majority of people have seen the film. At the Senate meeting, the president said, I've never seen the film. So it's a campaign. The campaign is to shut down the screening of the film and to shut down all critiquing of Israel. This is a film and they're afraid of it. The, the apex of the world the um, Zionists of the world, because it's two young Jewish Americans really framing 
the issue of Israel and Palestine with the focus of reaching young or Jewish people in general. So that's a very powerful discourse or discussion. And it doesn't have rhetoric in it. It's really trying to struggle with what this all means. What does it mean to be Israeli, to be an American Jew? How does one really shape the questions of Judaism with Zionism? And there's wonderful people in the film. There's Cornell West. There's people way beyond the specificity of this, of this struggle. And it's very powerful, the film, because it has this focus on one thing, but then it branches out. And I guess one of the reasons why one thinks they're putting a stop to the visibility of the film, I think they want to put a stop to any question that is critical of Israel and they use all slander against it. One thing is self-hating Jew. You know, I get that a lot. Um, you know, there's, I'm not going to say the names of the platform, but for years there have been platforms where academics have been listed as self-hating Jews. The worst thing is a united Jewish front of all the different ethnicities because Jews are brown, white, black, all the Jewish people to stand up and say, I oppose Zionism. Yet, and I am Jewish, that Judaism and Zionism are two separate things. And that's what the film is saying. And it, and as far as the Zionists go, they've got to shut it up. So, I mean, we have, I don't think I sent anyone here. I did get a document where it says it's a email and it came to me and I can't give the resources or the names, but I did get it. And it says in it, oh my God, we shut down another film screening. Yay. We got 5,000 emails to the uh, Hunter College, a dean of diversity. And we did it. Congratulations. And this is a campaign, John. We're talking about a well-financed campaign to promote Zionism and to silence every critique of it. Well, That's what this is. Yeah, we'll we'll have to leave it there. But it, 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 from what uh, PM was telling us, if when it when you all get the chance to show that uh, movie on your campus, I think you're going to have a bigger crowd than you started with. Okay, mm-hmm. at six thirty tonight, just a little thing. The president of Hunter College, in maybe one hour from now, is meeting with the filmmakers. Nice. All right. We- Count on you, you keeping us updated about that uh, here at The Independent. Uh, Tammy Gold, Shandor John, and PM Campbell, thank you all for joining us uh, for today's show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, so we'll be back after this a short break, and our next guest will be uh, John Tufel, indie columnist, who's written extensively about Eric Adams and his administration. And in the second half of the show, we will be taking call-ins at 212 212- uh, 209-2877. <laughs> 
best, baby All I know, all I know, all I know is to be Palestinian So always rap where you come from Except when you're online at the customs Told her she can meet me up in London She let me cause I came from Buzzer with love But I feel like it's from Buzzer From Buzzer with love Let's change out to Abdul Hamid Now I'm gonna come off too strong But still I'll still fall out I'm planting the seeds There ain't yet I can get you what you need But I hate it when a text go green Do you miss me or did you leave, baby? Came from Gaza with love But I feel like it's worse if I never went back From Gaza with love It's a hell of a way but we never go back From Gaza with love, baby Follow Stina since says that was From Gaza with Love by St. Levant. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM, your peace and justice radio station here in New York City, also a community listener sponsored radio station. I'm your host, John Tarleton. My co host, Abu Gagarian, is out today. Uh, before we continue with our show and our uh, fantastic next guest, John Tufel, I want to ask you to become a WBAI buddy. You can become a WBAI buddy for as little as $10 a month. You get all sorts of uh, excellent uh, perks and benefits from that. And above all, you help keep WBAI on the air. Station has been on the air since 1960 with the support of listeners like yourself. I know some of you uh, have given before. Uh, Today is a great day to give again. Or if you haven't given before, if you haven't become a WBAI buddy, let's do it today at 212 212- Two zero nine two nine five zero. Again, that's two one two two zero nine two nine five zero. Or give number two dot or give give number two wbai dot org, and they'll take your credit card information. Uh, I became a wbai buddy about a year and a half ago. I'd given to the station at other times as well, and uh, it feels great. I mean. Look, I'm in left-wing media. I don't make a ton of money, but I can give $10 a month. In, in addition to uh, giving the uh, free time and energy to help put on this show uh, when I'm not uh, working otherwise uh, at the Independent. Anyway, if you can at all do it, please become a WBAI buddy today. There's a little t- it's $10 a month if you don't have a lot of money. If you can give $15, 20 25 30 50 even $100 a month, uh, it's a huge help to the station at the independent. We also have monthly uh, sustainers and, and they really provide a, a financial bedrock for our operation. And it's the same thing at WBAI. When you become a monthly sustainer, you give this station a certain amount of financial stability from one month to the next, uh, so that plans can be made, uh, payrolls can be met and all of that. Um, so become a WBAI buddy today at 212. Uh, two zero nine, uh, two nine five zero. Again, two one two two zero nine, uh, two nine five zero. Or give number two wbai. dot org and experience the joy and satisfaction of supporting this station and the other benefits you'll get from being a wbai 
buddy. And when you support uh, WBAI become, by becoming a buddy or just be, by becoming a one-time a donor, you not only help keep the independent news hour on the air from week to week, but you help keep all the other great programming that's here on WBAI. Uh, you got 24 hours a day, seven days a week of uh, news and public affairs, of, of cultural programming, uh, music uh, shows, all of that. All of it's non-commercial, non-corporate, completely unique for a radio station in New York City. Uh, this evening, after uh, we go off the air, you'll have uh, a half-hour edition of Democracy Now!, and then after that, international update from 6.30 to 7. And then Revolutions Per Minute, the show of the New York City uh, chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, will be on the air from 7 to 8 p.m. Then Out FM from 8 to 9 p.m. Cat Radio Cafe from 9 to 10 p.m. And we'll have special programming from 10 p.m. till midnight. So your support makes all of that possible, plus all the other programming during the week. Uh, one more time, 212 209-2950. Thank you for your support. We'll give that number out again at the end of the show, but please, please consider uh, helping out WBAI today. The station, as you know, uh, needs all the help uh, it can get. Um, so on that note, uh, speaking of uh, uh, budget crunches and whatnot, uh, uh, recently uh, Eric Adams, our mayor, our embattled mayor, announced uh, plans for billions of dollars more in budget cuts uh, to all sorts of essential services here in New York, claiming we are in a budget crisis. The the mayor, of course, uh, has some crisis of his own to deal with, uh, with the FBI investigation uh, bearing down on him and some of his uh, top uh, uh, aides, including his uh, uh, chief fundraiser, Brianna Suggs. And to join us today to talk about all that, and more is the Independence John Tufel, author of the our uh, this month in Eric Adams uh, column. Uh, John's been writing for us for a couple of years now, and we love everything he writes in the paper and on our website. Uh, John Tufel, welcome to the Independent News Hour. Thank you, John. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing great. Uh, so, um, I think uh, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, uh, but I think. Uh, the first, you know, we maybe start with some of the most recent news, uh, which is the uh, the budget cuts that that are being planned. Um, and I think we're going to go to a thought here, maybe hear from the mayor himself uh, speaking uh, recently to uh, CBS uh, Channel Two, uh, uh, making his pitch for why he had to, has to do this. Yeah. We have to balance our budget by law two years out. This is the law. And we know what happened. 142,000 migrant asylum seekers, no real help coming from the federal government. We need more assistance on all levels of government. And it's going to impact. And I say it over and over again. This has been one of the most painful periods in my public life on some of the cuts we have to make. But again, Okay, so uh, the mayor, uh, once again, making the argument that our we should blame uh, the migrants uh, for all our troubles. Uh, your reaction to that? Yeah. So uh, there's a couple of things going on there. I mean, it is obviously true that the migrant uh, issue has cost the city money that it didn't initially anticipate spending. Uh, and I don't think anyone disputes that. But I think the issue that 
Eric Adams has is, you know, we have to look at how the city is spending its its the taxpayer money besides that. I mean, he's just been a poor fiscal steward of New York City's finances. I mean, he has his untouchable priorities. Let's take a look at take an example of this recent five percent cuts that he just announced. I mean, he initially just a couple of days ago, last week, when he first announced that these 5% across-the-board cuts were coming into effect, he said that they would include the NYPD. I mean, that was part of it. And, in fact, it prompted Governor Hochul to come forward and say, oh, well, maybe the state can can step in and help uh, the city you know, not have to cut the NYPD. She didn't say that about any of the other cuts, but she said that about the NYPD. And then we found out yesterday that he is reversing that, that the NYPD is not going to be part of these cuts. Um, I mean, he has funneled billions and billions of dollars, mo- much more than the city has had to spend on the migrants in the last year. He's funneled much, much more money than that toward the NYPD. He's increased the NYPD budget dramatically. He signed into, uh, he put into place a, a new contract uh with the uh, officers union that cost the city a one-time hit of 5.5 billion dollars and that is going to continue uh to cost the city billions of dollars every year in in massively increased salaries even right now the city is spending the NYPD is spending 500 million dollars on a new radio system with the goal of that radio system solely to be that reporters and activists and anyone who monitors the NYPD can't listen to the uh, formerly public frequencies of of NYPD radios. And that's so, a I mean, frequency that NYPD radio has been uh, listenable for the public since 1932. Wild, isn't it? A hundred years almost that we have been able to listen to this and now it's going away. And I mean, you can ask any reporter. I mean, stories have been broken this way. The only reason uh, the city was able to obtain, um, uh, able to eventually obtain video footage of Daniel Pantaleo uh, killing Eric Garner was because a police reporter had been tipped off by a 911 call and was able to locate a witness on the scene who had the video. So, uh, I mean, th- this is usually important. Activists have used these fee- these radio feeds for years. Um, and, you know, th- but, I mean, let's focus on the money for now, right? Like, let's put aside anything else, anything of the value of these, of these public radio frequencies. This is $500 million. The city spent $1.45 billion on the migrants in the last year. This is over a third of that just for this radio thing. So, I mean, when he says that the city is facing this massive uh, budget crunch, he doesn't act that way when it comes to his favored priorities. Uh, you know, and he's shown that again and again and again. Um, and also, you know, he talks about how the federal government has not stepped in with sufficient um, funds to to help the city out uh, to house these migrants. And, you know... That may be true. I mean, the city, I, the federal government has kicked in money. It may be true that they should kick in more. I mean, I don't think any New York City person would turn down money from the federal government. But Eric Adams has been effectively has put himself in an oppositional position to Joe Biden. I mean, he has for uh, quite some time now, for many months now, has effectively been attacking Joe Biden for his immigration policy and echoing right wing attacks 
on the Biden administration. Uh, that's not going to ingratiate uh, him with the Biden administration or make them more inclined to uh, to give money to the city, especially when Eric Adams has kind of created this dynamic where to give money to the city now would seem to be um, conceding Eric Adams criticisms of the Biden administration. So, I mean, look, it's perfectly fine to have criticisms of the Biden administration. I'm I have many of them myself. But for the mayor to kind of put himself in opposition to the president, who's also the leader of the of the political party that Eric Adams ostensibly belongs to. Uh, it just feels like a terrible strategic mistake and just something that has now put Eric Adams in a box. And, you know, what, right. what's up with uh, well, all this? Sorry, go right. ahead. Yeah. Now, uh, well, real quick again, I just want to let our listeners know we were talking about uh, indie columnist John Tufel about all things that uh, Eric Adams for the rest of the, the show. Uh, if you want to uh, call in and chime in with a question, you can call uh, 212-209-209. Two eight seven seven again. That's two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. John, yeah, when you talk about uh, Eric Adams uh, uh, being at odds uh, with the Biden administration earlier this month, he was on the Amtrak train right. heading down to Washington uh, to join some other big city mayors, like the mayors of Chicago and Denver, uh, who've also uh, uh, had a lot of migrants show up in their cities and and meet with. Uh, Biden administration officials in Washington. This was going to be his chance to to make a pitch for uh, what the problems are, what the needs are, the money they need, et cetera, except he never made it to that meeting because he turned around to go back to New York when he learned that his uh, chief fundraiser, Brianna Suggs, was her home was being raided and uh, the FBI was, uh, you know, uh, con- con- leading an investigation into his uh campaign fundraising uh practices from a couple of years ago when he ran for mayor right it's wild isn't it sometimes history kind of puts this uh, like a confluence of events all happening at the same time in such a uh perfect way that you know it makes you feel like irony is is a real thing in life um but yeah i mean while he was on his way to go deal with this migrant crisis in some form or fashion or try to obtain the funding that he says um, the city so desperately needs, uh, you know, he he bailed. I mean, what else can you say? It's awful optics at the very least. Uh, it looked like he was panicking. Uh, oh, I, I can't imagine why. I mean, this is the other thing. I mean, we really have no idea why he even felt the need to come back here. I mean, what exactly required him to be on the ground here, especially since he is claiming that, you know, this has nothing to do with him and his campaign is above board and all that stuff. I mean, exactly what was it that necessitated his presence within the five boroughs of New York City um, because Brianna Suggs was was having our home raided and you know uh now reporter- he's he since had uh the fbi uh uh jump him and and take uh yeah. two iphones and a and a laptop uh of his away from him yeah what an image right like the idea that um he would as i've read it he was sitting in his uh suv and the fbi agents kind of pushed aside his private security and entered the SUV, the backseat with him and served him with the warrant and demanded that he hand over his communications devices. Very aggressive, um, very, um, uh, very indicative 
that there is something here. You know, we don't know exactly what any of this means just yet. Right. It appears, at least in part, to have to do with uh, fundraising uh, that was done through uh, uh, sources in Turkey, uh, apparently close to the uh, government of uh, President Erdogan in Turkey. But uh, I want to pivot here for a moment. We've got a couple of people on hold uh, that have called in. Uh, first caller, uh, can you tell us your name and where you're calling from? Hi, I just want to make sure that I can be heard. My name is Caitlin. Yes, uh, we hear you. Uh, well, what's your uh, question or comment for John? Hi, Caitlin. Okay, hello. My name is Caitlin. I am a student at Hunter College. I'm also a member of the CUNY Internationalist Club. And I just wanted to call in to talk a little bit about this current issue of censorship and the CUNY administration's ban on the film selling of Israelism. And yeah, what, what's your what, 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 what's your uh, thought about it? Well, I'm one of many students who are currently circulating a petition that the CUNY administration reversed their ban and provide a large space for the film to be shown during the month of November 2023, so this month. And I just want to say that this action by the administration is a direct attack on academic freedom and freedom of speech and is totally contrary to the purposes of education and that the reception that we've been receiving from other students has been really positive um, and that I think as students, we understand that this isn't just about professors or faculty members, but that this is also a threat against us and our basic democratic rights as students and our ability to mobilize in defense of oppressed people around the world, which, you know, the past events of this past year and since 2020 and before that has shown how important it is for students and anyone um, really who works in New York City and elsewhere to be able to mobilize um, in defense of oppressed people and all those. Absolutely. So I just uh, wanted to say those comments. John, were you starting to say something? No. no. Okay. Well, Caitlin, uh, I, I applaud you for continuing to organize and, and keeping that issue on the, on the, you know, at the forefront at Hunter College. And, you know, like I said it in that last segment, I have a feeling you're going to have a really big uh, turnout when they finally are forced to uh, show that film. Uh, but now I want to go to our uh, next caller. Are, are you there? Yes. This is Rose from Flemington. I was in New York for many years, but I moved out a number of years ago. What, 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 what's of... your name and where are you calling from? Rose from Flemington, New Jersey. Uh, I would like to make a couple of comments on quite diverse items. Number one is... A rat czar. Now, what the hell do you need a rat czar? Poisoning the rats so that the birds come and get poisoned. Um, I heard something on the radio a couple of weeks ago that you can actually... By the way, Rose, not to interrupt you, but the the cuts, the 5% cuts, are also targeting sanitation, including specifically some of the rat reduction. These are uh, are not important things. Well, I had heard something to the effect that rats are very good at detecting landmines. Uh, that could very well be the case. I wouldn't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> wouldn't it be great just to trap the rats, you know, get those little the little uh, Jack Russells in the terriers and collect them all, stop paying the czar. The czar's not doing the damn thing but selling poison. 
And the other thing I'd like to also address is that we have a a, a wash of, of people coming into the city, and we're using hotels to put them up. And listen, I'm very, I've traveled extensively. I speak other languages. I don't hate anybody. But it seems perfectly logical to me that you would use trailers. You have all these places, you know, various fields and military stuff. These could be easily built. You know, they're already in, in around, so we can get them and reuse them and move them as we need them. Um, he doesn't seem to be terribly lucid to reality. I mean, he's, you know, he's got sort of the syndrome. You're talking about the new radio system there. Remember when Rudy Giuliani and, and 9-11 and the system, they had a walkie-talkie system that the firemen couldn't get out? It was non-functioning. He has the same kind of vanity as Rudy. That's my speech. Okay. Thank you, Rose. Uh, John, uh, any further response from you? Um, I, you know, <laughs> don't you love New Yorkers though, John? <laughs> okay. So, um, it, so we were talking about, we were talking Turkey, uh, Thanksgiving's coming up, uh, Turkey's on people's minds, but, uh, with Eric Adams, a, a, a different kind of Turkey uh, appears to have been on his mind for the last few years. Yeah, I, I'd say, I'd say that he's probably got two, um, sorts of Turkey in mind. This holiday season. Um, one thing I did want to bring up just because it just was released today was the, um, new Marist poll, which, um, uh, puts Eric Adams. I mean, he's, ex- he's become extremely unpopular. I don't know that he was ever terribly popular. Um, he only beat Maya Wiley by less than one percentage point. I think it's um, actually but, Catherine Garcia at the end. Or I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, Maya Wiley, that's who I've replaced in my head. But yeah, you're right. Catherine Garcia. Um, but, uh, but yeah, his approval rating overall among New York City people, according to the Marist poll released today, uh, approval is 37%. Disapprove is 54%, which is a fairly large gap, um, between approve and disapprove. And, uh, it goes across every um, every bracket that they pulled for, every borough, income levels, education, race, age, gender. Um, you know, he's not a popular mayor. And uh, I think it's particularly uh, incredible when you think about the fact that he is a Democrat, ostensibly, and this is... A, uh, a heavily democratic city, you know, um, there's not a lot of Republicans here. So you'd think he'd have something of a leg up in terms of public approval. And he appears to have, um, lost it. I mean, his approval ratings are, uh, akin to what Joe Biden is facing on a national level. And that's in a 50 50 democratic and Republican country. Um, so I mean, a lot of people, it appears, are just not appreciating the job that Eric Adams is doing as mayor. And, uh, I think that, you know, we talk about this FBI investigation. None of us know where it's actually going to go. None of us know if he's going to be arrested, if he'll have to step down, if there will be indictments. I, none of us know any of that, right? We'd be reading tea leaves. But I think that what we do know is that before this FBI investigation and the Southern District investigation into Eric Adams, that whether or not somebody was actually going to run against him in the Democratic primary in 2025 would uh, step forward and actually do it. We didn't know if that was going to happen. There were a lot of people hoping, 
and a lot of people encouraging um, uh, members of the city political uh, circles, <clears throat> excuse me, to run against him. But we just didn't know. And now I think it's safe to say that there is going to be a challenger, at least one challenger and probably multiple challengers. Um, there's blood in the water. People realize he's a damaged mayor. People realize that right. he very well could lose re-election. And yeah. I think if you could just oh, speak that. a little louder here, but we just are down to our final minute. Uh, if you could also just sort of uh, draw out uh, succinctly uh, the relationship between this particular scandal and the sort of general uh, pay-to-play atmosphere around the Adams administration since he came into office. Well, he's been a mayor who's been very fond of of the sort of nepotism that uh, where wherein you know he'll reward loyalists and reward friends of his and overlook um, overlook ethical issues and even legal troubles. I mean, uh, Phil Banks, who's the deputy mayor, is probably the best example of that. You know, Phil Banks resigned years ago from the NYPD in shame. I mean, it's 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 fair to say that he was an unindicted uh, party to an FBI investigation uh, into corruption. And uh, he wound up leaving the department in a, in a cloud of shame. And he was kind of brought back out and brought back into public life by Eric Adams, um, who's given him a very, very high position. Yeah, uh, John, we're going yes. to have to stop uh, for now, but it's always great to have you join us uh, on the Independent News Hour. Our, our time is up. Uh, I want to thank our board operator, Reggie Johnson, and also Amba Gagarian, who helped produce today's show's show. Amba and I will be back next week, same time. And once again, don't forget to give to WBAI 212-209-2950 or give number two, WBAI.org. Our final song today is Race Babbling by Stevie Wonder. <laughs>